This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to all of our listeners who have been with us for a while, and welcome to all of you who are new to the podcast. I'm really excited to have our guest on this week, Kay Matthews. She is going to be sharing with us her work that she's been working tirelessly on for years now through the Shades of Blue project. I'm really in deep respect of Kay and all of the work that she's been doing and all of the advocacy that she's been doing. She and her team are on a mission to uplift all birthing individuals with care, respect, and dignity they deserve, no matter their social status or birth outcome. They focus on the birthing experience, and this is how they bridge gaps by acknowledging everyone's birth story matters. Through education, advocacy, and support, they are dedicated to helping birthing individuals of color whose lives are impacted by racial disparities that amplify their birthing struggles. It is from her own personal experience of infant loss and postpartum depression that she has recognized a critical diversity gap in mental health resources and emotional support for Black and minority birthing individuals, which is what they are working to dismantle through their work and advocacy. What is especially fantastic is that Kay has founded Black Maternal Mental Health Week, and this year it is July 19th through the 25th, and their theme is Collective Efforts for Greater Community Impact and Change. So I encourage everyone to go over to shadesofblueproject.org or visit them on their Facebook or Instagram at Shades of Blue Project and on Twitter at Shades of Blue PRJ. And join in on learning more, join in the discussion, join in on understanding how, if you are a provider, how you can be supporting and understanding better what your clients might be going through, or if you're not the best provider to support, what kind of resources and direction to other resources that you can offer your clients or people that you are trying to help. Kay shares with us a lot of the details about Black Maternal Mental Health Week and what you can do to learn more and become involved. She also shares with us her personal story and what led her to this work in the first place. 
And for a lot of us who have come to this work through our own pain, I'm incredibly grateful that she is sharing this with us today. Please go check out the work that Kay is doing at shadesofblueproject.org and listen into today's episode to learn more. So let's meet Kay. Welcome, Kay. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is a long time coming conversation. I think we were just chatting before that we had talked before the pandemic started. And so here we are anyways. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really excited now to be able to touch base with you and help people who don't know about the work that you're doing, learn about the work that you're doing, because it's really essential. It's very, very essential work. So yeah, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you got into this work, where your story here started. Well, Kat, honestly, it's not... I always tell folks, this was not how I planned my life out. I did I did graduate from college with a degree in early childhood development. Uh, honestly, my prior lifetime, I was a, cater, a catering chef. I traveled all the world, around the world, did food in many ways, made cakes that look like lots of things. So in 2013, I delivered my daughter's stillborn. It was not the outcome that we wanted or prayed for or hoped for, but it was the ending result. For me, I struggled so in the postpartum period that I wasn't given a postpartum period to begin with. A postpartum period is what I learned down the line into doing this work. But I struggled mentally and it wasn't with grief. It was something, it was a feeling that I personally had never felt um, before. And I was like, it just has to be tied to like giving birth. Like, what is this? And because so many folks focused on the loss that I experienced versus me saying that I was lost and was struggling. It just made that time period just almost unbearable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I often think about as a Black woman, because I feel like I didn't become a Black woman in, in America until I gave birth. And that experience, that interaction with the healthcare staff, just the full, the, the big picture of my experience is that I wasn't given a lot of things that one expects. When I would hear about birth or someone giving birth or pregnancy, just all of that, I was like, oh, that didn't happen to me. Even with the loss of my daughter, people would say, well, did you hold her? Did they do the little footprint stamp? All those different things. None of that happened to me. None of that stuff was offered to me. What I got at the end of a two-week stay was the bag of clothes that would, a bag with the clothes that I came in with and the discharged piece of paper that I checked out with. That was all I came home with. No pamphlets, no no guidance or information. And the funny thing is that I actually was looking for pamphlets. I was like, they had to put something in here to guide me. And there's absolutely nothing. And so that experience just full circle. Although I was struggling, I did tell myself at one point that when this is all over, because I knew I wouldn't stay there, mm-hmm. uh, when this is all over, I got to help other people because this is the worst feeling that I had ever experienced. There's nothing compared to losing a child. And so when I got in a place of healing, which was just actually going for my to my general practitioner for a checkup and just having a conversation with him about what I was experiencing, he called it postpartum depression. I said it was postpartum depression, but nobody believed me because no one was tying postpartum depression and infant loss together in the same mm-hmm. dynamic. So it's foreign language. So it was rejected. Right. Right. And to hear somebody confirm what I was feeling, it really changed the trajectory of my path. 
it was the first time I was able to exhale and then breathe in again, because now what? Like, what's my next steps? Right. Which was a support group that his staff suggested, but it wasn't a support group that really worked for me. Nobody in there looked like me, let alone had a story like mine. And so I didn't feel like I fit. And so I really just had to come to the conclusion that I was on my own and had to save myself. And like, what did that look like? Like, what did I need for myself to get better? What did I need for my own healing? And I've always been someone who writes things down. I'm a journal diary keeper. And I just went back to using that and realizing that I was doing a lot of the same things. It was, I really was driving myself insane. And so I had to stop that insanity, but the journaling helped me. And so that was the piece that I wanted to share with others is writing down your thoughts can really help you see the path that you're on and change it. That that was me when I got to a healing place and built the organization just like really step by step. I didn't even know what it looked like to build an organization, but I've always been in the community as a chef. I can feed you if I can do if I can't do anything <laughs> else. And we all know food is good for the soul and the in the persons that are attached to it. And I always did everything with love. And so tied those two things in together was the next step of my healing and working in the community and just really just took people's experience because for me, I didn't feel like people listened to what it was I was saying, or even if they were listening, they didn't have a real true reaction. So I wanted to ensure that when I was out in the community and building this, that I was actually listening to what was saying and listening to what people were trying to say that they need, even when they were struggling to figure that out. So that's how I got started. I just took my experience and wanted others to not have to experience it in the way in which I did and that it could have been better as I learned throughout the process is that it really could have been different if someone had listened to me or really just valued what I went through in my own experience to help me get into that healing state of mind. So, yeah. Right. And you've turned your pain into avenues for healing in so many different ways. I don't know if if you're comfortable or if, let me say it a different way, if you wouldn't mind to give us a a little bit of a list of the things you've done, including the the journal that you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the journal was a stepping point. I actually asked a community-based organization if they would let me pilot this back in 2014. And they was like, yes, by all means, we need something different. The craziest thing about that is I did that for two years. Each class had language barriers in there because the mamas, they spoke little English and I always had a translator. But the thing about this organization is when at the end of each group, the mamas would fill out a form that said, do you want to bring this presenter back? And each time they said yes. And each time they just kept bringing me back for two years, even despite not understanding a lot of what I was saying, but the translator would then translate to make them understand. But I'm saying like me as the person that is presenting this information, they still felt it and understand that it was coming from a place of sincerity. And that kept them coming back. And also help that organization to grow and for the mamas to see the value in what that organization was creating as well. But as I maneuvered through this work and made the the journal into, we're on journal number four, which has been our most successful. And that's because I took all the feedback over the years and created this journal. 
from all of what the survey said, we want more positive affirmations. We want blank pages versus line pages, really listening and honing in and creating something of value because I listened. And that was a big piece for me. So creating a journal, then from creating a journal, doing support groups and support groups to doing policy, because in that process, I understand that policy work was important and imperative I'm based in Houston, Texas, and it's just the the state of Texas and the barriers that we're up against here. Policy, without policy, it doesn't move anything. It Mm -hmm. also understanding that policy can move and halt a lot of things. So Mm -hmm. understanding the pieces and where I needed to interject policy into the work that we're doing. So it's just been level after level with the things that we have done. Even just, we're based in Houston, Texas. This is where our maternal Mental Health and Resource Center is where we currently right now serve 23 additional states outside of the state of Texas. And we have coupled these social support services and maternal mental health support services together, just like we do at home. We do nationwide as well, because I think that the pandemic taught us one thing is that there's a way to use the virtual space for ultimate good. And luckily for us, we were able to spring into what that could look like and combine our in-person support to be able to spread that around. So yes, definitely have taken different levels and incorporated them into the work as necessary. That's how we keep growing, is listening to our community, seeing a need and not necessarily building new projects, partnering with folks who are also doing elements that we may not be doing as well, because it's a collective effort that has to happen in this space. And that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. I will want to include the name and links to the journal that you're describing, but for just, can you let people know what it's called and where they can find it? Yes. The journal is called Inspire Journal. It's an acronym. And so for me and my healing, I had to figure out something that I could do on a daily And I had to learn to inspire myself. But then I was just like, okay, I'm inspiring myself. And now what? Like, what does that mean? And so really thinking through that process. So that first I is involve others. It's very hard to ask for help or to get folks into it, especially if you don't know how to tell them to help you. So we kind of work through what that looks like. And the nourishment and exercise, I remember having to really tell myself, you got to get up out this bed, even if Mm. you got up out the bed and went to the couch or we sat outside something. And then reminding myself to eat on a daily was a big thing. So nourishment and exercise that in spirituality and prayer, especially within, within the Black community, religion is a lot of things to take on. And so when we think about religion, we think about it from a spiritual aspect or a prayer life. You have one or the other. So we couldn't leave religion out of this because mm-hmm. there was a lot embedded in my healing process along with religion, more so in the rejection piece of it. I will share, and I know that this will touch a lot of folks, is that I would tell people that I was mad at God and they would tell me, you can't say that. And I was like, why not? I, this is, I'm expressing my anger. It's not like that now, but it was like that then. So many people told me how to feel versus listening to how I was feeling. That S is is for spirituality and prayer. P is for patience because we're not born with it. It's something that we learn Mm -hmm. and is developed over time. And then identify and initiate change is that next I. We know something needs to change, but when when something needs to change, you got to identify first. You just can't just run out there and, and you may end up changing something that was actually working. So you got to identify what needs to change first. 
And then R is for rest and relaxation. Kat and I were talking prior to, I talked about self-care for myself. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that I share with others. When I tell you to take care of yourself, to breathe, I'm doing those things on a daily right. for myself. So I'm not doing anything that I'm I'm telling you to do or to not do. I'm implementing these things. I've gone through a bunch of journals, y'all. Let me just be real about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the last E is I have to figure out a way to remove blame as an aspect in my life. Blaming myself for what happened, outcomes, all these different things. So the E is each day is a new day to start again. If I wake up the next day, I get to start this whole learning to inspire myself. And then it just becomes a daily. And so every day I wake up, the goal is to inspire myself. But if I do actually absolutely nothing before the first E, the the E, at least when I wake up the next day, I get another chance to start over. So that's what the inspire method is. It's something that you implement for yourself on a daily and it makes it so much easier to share with others when you're actually practicing it. And you can find it on our website, the journal itself. Fantastic. Yeah. What an awesome resource. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And I know for you, as you were saying, your personal story is infant loss as it relates to maternal mental health. That that wasn't really addressed with you until that one one provider. Mm -hmm. Uh, What have you seen since you've been making that connection for for people and, and helping them understand that it's a real thing? I've actually seen growth in that area. I remember when I would Google back then, I found absolutely nothing. And I'm a researcher, didn't even know that researcher was like this necessarily term, but I'm always searching for resources. And I remember a couple of years back putting in what I put in when I was going through my recovery phase. And I started reading an article that clearly I forgot that I was a part of. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I was just like, this story sounds like extremely 
familiar. And I was like, oh, this is me. And uh-huh. at that moment, I realized like, see, it, it was for, this is for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes in life that we do have to, we do need to have those moments where we realize that these things did happen for us, to us for a reason. And that reason was to bring into light that this is a tie-in. There is a tie-in. It's not to birthing outcomes. It's to birthing experiences that one can experience a maternal mental health complication. And so it's that piece. I'm glad to see folks are seeing the tie-in and understanding that infant loss support is two different things. She gave birth. So focus on what can happen in there. And then she experienced the loss of that birth, right? And so mm-hmm. then looking at the grief aspect of it, but it's two different ways. You can't just like pick and choose which one you want to address that makes you feel more comfortable. Or if you don't know how to approach it, there are things out there now. Now you can Google and find some things, but you couldn't nine years ago, but you can now. So it's really good to see infant loss being tied to maternal mental health complications as it always should have been. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you made an interesting distinction that the depth of what you were experiencing was a new feeling for you. It was different than grief. It was about me. And so it made me feel selfish to other people that I would be like, I'm not worried about that baby for so long. It was a third. It was like that baby. I don't want to talk about the baby. I want to talk about me. And people was like, oh, well, she's only acting like that because she lost the baby. Even though I just like kept saying, like, stop telling me about this baby. I'm telling you that I'm struggling. People would still find a way to circle back to back around to the baby and so what that did for me is that delayed my grief because no one was addressing what was happening to me because of my birthing experience not because of my outcome and so I didn't think about a lot of the things or a lot of the emotions until years later I remember someone asking me did I get to hold a baby now my partner did ask me if I wanted to hold a baby and I said why would I want to do that? Right. Because this whole experience wasn't registering with me, but also no one was talking to me about it. It was like everyone was talking around me. And so that's the other thing when you're not presented in a way, this is a new experience. So something should have came from the healthcare professionals, you know, but it didn't. And so it never dawned on me that a lot of the, the, the things that Again, a couple of years later, folks are like, well, did you get the little book that had the baby's footprint in it and all of the information? And I was like, no, I didn't. And I didn't get asked that either. And so that, that's the distinction between my experience. And I think that if we were to hear about my experience of nine years ago and current 2022, we would all, as advocates, we'd be like, what the hell? Who did this? And we'd all be standing up. And that's great for me now. I don't, again, I've come to that realization that those things happen for a reason. So I could advocate for others, but that's also how I see the difference between I know that someone, if they were to experience those things, that someone would have their back, someone would say something or give them the resources that they actually needed. Yeah, for sure. I'm really glad that you're able to see that. I know for me in a certain way, it's in some way it's healing also for to to see that other people are getting what you didn't necessarily get. Mm-hmm. Like at least somebody's getting it. Yep. Um, and you you've been a huge part of making sure that that happens for other people. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing the work that you're doing. And it's expanded into additional areas of perinatal mental health to encapsulate quite a bit, not just specifically infant loss and maternal mental health. No, one of the things I did not just want to be Kay who lost her baby. That wasn't that that was the outcome. The experience is what I wanted to focus on. That was the imperative piece, even before, during, and after. It was the experience itself. And so what I learned early on is if I led with the fact that I experienced the loss of my daughter, people would disconnect and they would stay stuck on the, oh, we're so sad for you. And I wouldn't really get the just of why I'm doing this work or why I'm in this space and wanting to advocate. And so I never wanted to just be Kay who lost her baby in this space. So that's why my focus has really truly been on maternal mental health, but all the aspects of it, because when you don't address or don't understand all of the aspects of it, you're leaving someone out. Believe me, you are. And so my outcome coupled with my experience, allows folks to be like, oh, they're talking about infant loss and mental health together. And when I talk to people, they're like, I didn't even think about that or talking to couples or individuals. They're like, is that what that was? Like, mm-hmm. I I didn't even think about like the postpartum anxiety piece of it. I was like, we don't always know what we don't know. Right. Uh, I think it really honestly comes down to the delivery how we're saying it, who we're saying it to. But for me, it's always about being informative, meaning I could be talking to a room full of folks who have not ever experienced pregnancy at all, but I've given them the information. So when they do cross paths with somebody who does, they they remember something, something clicks and be mm-hmm, like, okay, mm-hmm. even if they can't have a full-blown conversation with them, they can lead them to where they can go, right? So for me, it's always about been about informing because nobody in my immediate circle or family talked about these things. Right. Later, I found out about losses within my family, oh, right. things like yeah. that. And then I had a whole meeting where I was like, all the women in my family, y'all all experienced postpartum depression and we need to call it what it is and we need to stop right. it. We right. don't need this thing to carry on to your daughters. And then your daughters have that thing. You need to stop this thing right here. So it's been <laughs> one of those things. We talk about generational curses or generational things that continue throughout. Someone has to be the one to stop it. It was just me. But I would not have known that that's where it needed to stop if I had not experienced it myself, if that makes sense. And not oh, been able sure. to help my nieces and and educating them and getting them to understand had I not experienced it. So I've taken and and really understood that this thing did happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And this is sure why. did. And and now with Shades of Blue and all of the, the work that you're doing in your organization, you're really f- focusing on healing people who are dealing with perinatal mental health, maternal mental health issues within the Black community and mm-hmm. other additional communities as well. But very specifically, I really want to get into this in a minute with the Black Maternal Mental Health Week that you have championed and are really doing a lot of work around. Yeah. In addition to to that work that we're going to talk about in a moment, can you touch on the mortality and morbidity within the Black community that you are also working on? Yeah. So our belief is that in reality, we cannot talk about maternal health without talking about maternal mental health. 
And when we think about it within Black communities, our mortality and morbidity rates are atrocious. And so the and or conversations between the two have to stop. We have to be and. So when we talk about maternal health, it has to be maternal health and maternal mental health because the tie-in is there. We're dying during birth. We're dying the first year postpartum, depending on where you live. I'm in Texas, we're three to five times more likely to die during and after childbirth. That first year postpartum is so crucial. And so the tie-in is there, but our language and our verbiage is not always there. Gone are the days where we say, well, if, if she's diagnosed with a mental health condition or, or complications after giving birth, then what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then what? Because mm-hmm. there are resources out there. There are places you can refer to. There is help out there. And so for me, that big tie in is there. And we have to really start acknowledging how these two things tie in together, especially our mortality. Suicide is the number one cause. Overdose is there as well. Those pain medications after giving birth, women having epidurals or whatever that pain is coming from. And then that that lack of real true pain management mm. leads to opioid abuse, all of the different trickle down effects that happen at first year postpartum. Mm-hmm. That's mentally taxing. I feel yeah. like when we're talking about mortality, morbidity, or maternal health, we're talking or we're fighting for what has happened to the person. That mental health component ties into how they feel about what has happened to them. We have to acknowledge that because that serves the whole person. You have this buy-in from the person in which you are fighting for. So you have to think about their mental health. It can't be an and it or. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that that is absolutely frustrating. I was listening to somebody talk about their work on internal mortality review committee to review cases of, of people who have passed. And I, I was sort of stunned to realize that mental health isn't really discussed a lot in those circles. I think that that is changing to your point, but how could it not be connected? How could our health and mental health not be connected? In particular, I think with with all of the statistics coming out about mortality and morbidity, it's good for us to have the information, but it's also scary to Mm -hmm. to know that that is a possibility and at all, but also very specifically a higher percentage for Black women. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that has to also be impacting mental health. Like knowing that it's a possibility is also going to be stressful. Exactly. That's the piece right there. It's like, I may make it out of childbirth, but then I still have a one year time period in which I need to survive. So in Texas, a successful birth is day 366. One year and one day is considered to be a successful birth in this state. That's our sad reality. It's some of the things that we don't talk about, but out here in the community, outside of being within the the review committee meetings and things like that, we know that to be for fact. Whether our state officials, locals, governors want to acknowledge it, these are the facts and this is real life. And this data is tied to real people. I think we so often forget about these numbers. We're just not making them up off the top of our head, even if you want them to be so centered and concrete on the, that's not how this works. But you do know that data is tied to real living people, or in this case, living people who died and the results of their death. So that, they were real people. And so sometimes I, I feel like we get, we get caught up in numbers when the relevancy of that is not what's at the forefront. It's just, what's your data? What's your numbers? You, you want to hear one out of seven. I certainly don't want to hear three out of five. But just think, 
put five women in front of you and you just go through and just knock three women off. Think about it, like think about it in real life terms. And maybe it starts to hit home a lot more for you that you got five women in your family that any and three of them get pregnant and give birth that they may not come home or that the baby may come home, but not them or they may come home and the baby may not. All these different things that could happen in childbirth. So we have to be more realistic and it's not to scare. In reality, it's to educate. So we know going in what we need to know to a lot of times advocate for ourselves, save ourselves, being weaponized with information and knowledge. It's just where we sit. It's a sad reality because you anything can happen within childbirth. You got to go through all of those labor pains, active all the things and advocate for yourself. That is exhausting. So as a over a broader look, we, it, we're talking systematic changes that have to go into play that women should not have to, or birthing individuals should not have to go through all this to bring life into the world, have their life be valued and honored to just be here. And that joy is supposed to be a birthing is supposed to be a joyful occasion. And it's not just about death, but unfortunately death is what's overshadowing a lot of it, specifically in the black community. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned. It just just really just keeps sitting with me, the difference between outcome and experience. Mm-hmm. And that uh, applies to this as as well. There, there's, I mean, the, the experience of the person at the center who's dealing with it is part of, like you were saying, the, those quote unquote numbers. And also, if you can speak to maybe some of the factors that are contributing to these higher rates, because it's not like there's something inherent in black women that is making that happen because just because of them who they are they're like right. you said there are systems in place that are that are impacting this well so often if we're not just looked at based or judged on or biases placed upon us just on the color of our skin that would be a start and that we would not take information being given to us especially knowing that there are top five things that Black women are currently dying from. And some of this stuff has been just like so, so, so a part of the, preeclampsia is one of them. You bring up preeclampsia and a lot of folks be like, well, yeah, my sister had that. Yeah, but that's not, that's something that she could also die from or that's not normal. And then everybody, well, my aunt had that and it's, it's a thing, but because no one is addressing it and saying how deadly it can be, we don't know that. And so when our, again, not to scare, but to educate, when we are telling folks this information, getting them to understand that you have to take control, you'll have to take control of your health during the pregnancy and certainly after by asking like what's a postpartum plan of care, letting using these words. So there's understanding that at least they're talking to somebody or educating somebody and hopefully they don't think you just go on to Google and become a Google guru. And even if you have, something has triggered that, right? Yep. Something has triggered you to go and get a little information. But and in reality, Kat, I think we have to be so proactive mm-hmm. in our care. I know for us, we do, we are able to serve before, during, and after childbirth. So when our mamas do come or birthing individuals do come to us pregnant, we equip them with information that will at least make the physician stop and be like, who are you talking to? We created these little cards. I always keep these little cards handy a little blurred. And what it does is it says my, my life and my child's life are depending on me being informed. How am I at risk for the following birth complications? And it lists out 
the five things that Black women are currently dying from. And then it asks is, what is my postpartum plan of care? So if some of these things do occur, what then do I need to do in the postpartum period for me, myself, just like full circle? So equipping them with something that can make someone stop. When we think about conversations, it has to be something that sparks the, what did you just say? Or what did you just ask? Physicians always say they only got six, seven minutes to have an interaction with a patient. Okay, well, a minute and a half of that needs to be some type of compassionate care component to start with. And it needs to be informative for the patient. So we, there's a lot of things that we've been so conditioned to say it is the reason why we're not doing. We got to stop those things because there's a way, but we have to know the way or we want to have, we have to want to do it. And it doesn't always have to come in a memorandum form, just being people and understanding that if you do not educate this mom or birth an individual that is in front of you, they are at risk of dying. That's not okay. And that should not be what code of ethic is that under that that's okay. So yeah, I know I went a little over on that question, but no, no. I mean, I think it's a loaded question. There are so many things to to talk about that influence that period of time. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility and joy. But what I I love what you're doing is you've made this like a a tangible thing. That card doesn't take up a whole lot of space, um, Mm -hmm. but it's something that someone could keep in their pocket if they need and take with them. Yeah. Because how how are like to your point earlier, the, how is the person who is at risk or potentially even suffering are they supposed to advocate for themselves when they are overwhelmed and stressed out? That's not like when you're 
thinking so clear. So to have something to hold on to like that, that's concrete, that you can give to the doctor, read from it, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. is it's, it's both like simple and brilliant at the same time. It, it, and that's, that's, I think like to your point also is what is needed is a tool. Yeah. Solutions that we know will work. We just have to put them out within our respective communities, to be honest with you. That's just where we are. A lot of the times I feel like we know what solutions work. Just start them, just put them out there. I've been doing these cards. We have one for postpartum or maternal mental health complications as well. And I just took the Edinburgh scale at that time and did a one through 10 and asked the question in a way. And I asked the moms to give me, how do you need this question to be asked for you to answer it? And that's what the one through 10 is on the card. These questions ask in a real way so that they feel comfortable with being truthful because nothing is more scarier than thinking someone is going to come in and take your child and then not just take your child, take you away from your child and what that looks like and what that feels like. So how can we be more proactive in just being real, but giving people actual help, not putting them in another position to then be there's consequences for asking for help. That's the mindset around mental health. If you disclose that and you share that, there's consequences for that. Do you want those consequences? So you end up talking yourself out of asking for help. We should not live in a world that is like that. And so how can we shape those words to have impact enough for someone to stop and be like, let me see how I can get you some help, but not with consequences. Let me see how I can get you to help. And then all the whole world falls apart because of the actions of one person. So really just creating things that people can just go out into this world and live and survive and thrive and not just survive. I I end with thrive because it's one thing to survive, but you also need to thrive throughout this process as well, because that's what life is. It's coupled with a lot of different things. It's coupled with good, bad, and somewhere in between, but it just really comes down to how can we give the power back to the people that are mostly affected by it? Absolutely. And that is a perfect intro into Black Maternal Mental Health Week because that is that is what you're doing, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so take, I, take, I, walk I, us through this this yes. week. Uh, yeah. So I will tell a little short story. I always tell my mom I'm going to tell this every time someone asks me about Black Maternal Mental Health Week. I remember sitting in her room talking to her and just just like, what, mom, I need to do something. I was like, I need to do something more. And she's like, mom, like, you already do enough. And I was like, no, no, no. I need to do something, something more that brings more awareness to what's happening in maternal mental health. And I was just like, can I create a week? And she's like, did someone tell you you couldn't create a week? And I was like, no. And so she's like, so you're talking yourself out of it. And I was like, yeah. She's like, just do it and just do what you always do. You're going to be thoughtful about it. You're going to walk through it and see, is this really necessary? You're going to do all those things I already know, but I'm telling you, you should. So folks, that is how Black Determinants will help me came about. Just me sitting in my mom's room talking about, I need to do something more than what I'm doing. And she's like, it's okay to do what it is that came, if it came to mind and you should do it. And so for us, Creating Black Maternal Mental Health Week, I really honestly would hope that 10 years from now, it is not necessary because these things are being talked about, they're being addressed, and there's absolutely no need for them. 
And if it's not 10 years from now, it's 20 years from now, but I do want it to not be necessary. But we are right now in a place where it is. And so we craft every Black Maternal Mental Health Week with care and attention to where we are right now and where we could be. And so it is solution driven. This year, we, okay, so Black Maternal Mental Health Week is July 19th through the 25th. It's in July because that's Minority Mental Health Month. So it's befitting to be there. This year, we're going to start on a local level. So here, we're going to have a press conference at our city hall, bringing in officials for them to understand what's happening, like right here in our own backyards, as it ties to our national level issues as well. So locally, nationally, worldwide, this issue has to be addressed. But like I said, it always starts at home. So we're starting here first. Then on that that second day, we're doing the Inspire training. We're bringing it back live. We have not been live since February 2020, right before the world shut down. Yeah, right before. So we're back to doing in-person training starting that week. And then our Black Maternal and Mental Health Summit, which is two days, will be that Thursday and Friday. It is hybrid. So folks can come and see us in person. You come in person, you get to view the our resource center, our wellness clinic. You just kind of get to see our work on an everyday basis. We'll take and this is for, for both providers and for moms? Yes. Or just- yes, this is for everybody who wants, there's an aspect for everybody. This year, our theme is collective effort. And a collective effort for greater impact within our communities, it takes every aspect of it. It takes business owners, doctors, nurses, the individuals affected by it. It takes everybody. So across the board, yeah, this is the perfect year. So we do our summit every other year. So this is the perfect year to talk about what collective effort could be like so we can also see it over the next year when we get to five. So we can report out on what that looks like. So the summit is an imperative piece to this year's campaign. So we'll be able to report out what that year after the summit has actually looked like within our communities collectively. And then we'll have our brunch, which is honoring our community business owners, community leaders from just all over, local, national, everywhere. And then we have our, this will be our ninth year with our postpartum depression awareness walk in Fun Day in the Park. And so you can actually walk virtually to join us during that time if you would like to. It's going to be a great year, y'all. Every year our walk has been, it started out as a way for me to honor my daughter and her birthday. So it was in May. But the healing process in which I tell others to engage in, I too had to do that as well. And so three years ago, I pulled it from being in May. So in May, I could feel how I wanted to feel when it was her birthday. And I incorporated it into the week. And so, but it allows us to honor everybody across the maternal mental health spectrum, again, birthing experiences and not outcomes. And then our family fun day in the park, everybody can come out. We have vendors where you eat, dance, play games, get all kinds of goodies. And that's how we give back to our community. And then on that Monday, we are bringing back the state, back the state of Black Maternal Mental Health 2.0, where we're going to issue a report on what has happened over the past year since we've had our initial state of the Black Maternal Mental Health roundtable. So you're going to be in for a treat on that conversation. And that will actually- virtual? Yes, that is virtual. That's all virtual. Yes. So registration for that is up on our website as well. All things Black Maternal Mental Health Week are up on the site. So, yeah. Great. So we're excited. Pe- people can join in from wherever they are. Yes. To the parts that are, are virtual. Or- yes. Yeah. 
Awesome. Only thing that's not virtual, I would say, is the training. We will be streaming the press conference. We'll be streaming pretty much everything. There are pieces of the brunch that we'll be streaming as well. So the training is the only thing that is fully in person. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so for the training, people who are coming are getting trained in the Inspire Method. Correct. That you talked about earlier. Yes. And some people are just coming for the training. So that's, that's amazing too, because the training is a big component to the work that we're doing to get folks engaged in just changing how they deliver care Mm -hmm. that is embedded in the person that needs them. So, yeah. For sure. It sounds like everything you do, as you said before, is solution driven and it, it keeps the, the person at the center. There's no, you're not talking up like about theory, about uh, no. what ifs, about nothing. It, it is all grounded in helping people now and how you can help people later on too. Yes, because people are dying right now. Mm-hmm. And we want that to be like a non part of any equation. So we got to serve folks that are here right now. So we stop this vicious cycle of death that we are really experiencing. And it's in many ways and it's everybody plays a part in it. And the community is at the forefront and at the center of it because the community is the data. And so it has to be centered. Everything we do has to be centered around the individual. I always tell folks executive director is my title, um, but I am the very community that I serve. I am the community that I needed when I didn't even know I needed it or needed to understand it. And so, yes, community will always be at the forefront. And when it's not, we always do self-checks. It's like, wait a minute, where's our community component? Or even just engaging in anything. I know sometimes we're like the community voice at the table. We have to really understand what that means. It's not just using the word community. The community voice will always sound different from anybody else's voice. You'll distinctly be able to understand that this person is talking from a community component. That's something I had to honestly realize that I don't present like others. I don't talk like others. That's my distinction in this space is that I am the community. I've never disconnected from the community that I I, I actively was at some point before being involved in organization, but I continue to be while in organizational work. Yeah, that's incredibly important and inspirational. And and I really hope the people who listen to uh, to our chat today are a mix of people with lived experience who are going through stuff right now and also providers of, mm-hmm. of any of many different kinds, lots and lots of therapists. But I I think this is a particularly important message that you bring is to to keep it person centered and keep the community at the center. It's it's really easy to be in a room of other like-minded people and talk theoretically yeah. and and talk about things sort of on a intellectual level and and leave out this part, this grounding, this like the real part. This is mm-hmm. this is why we're here. Mm-hmm. So I, I I hope that people really take away that message from you. I hope so. Yeah. Again, collective effort looks like the part that we all play, no matter what our titles are. Well, because we live in a world of titles, some of us are held a lot higher than others. And so that accountability and responsibility then comes into play. Mm -hmm. Like, how can I 
make this different? And then when I decide to make it different, how can I get others involved in making it different? But you have to want to do it personally first, because then you're better, uh, you're better equipped to tell other people like, hey, did you know that this is happening? And for them to understand and want to be like, no, I didn't, but what can I do? So that's what collective effort looks like. It's wanting something better just personally mm-hmm. uh, and then sharing that with other folks so that we can start to make this all different. So for people who are listening and are inspired by you and the work that you're doing, what would you say to them about how they can be more involved? I would definitely first direct you to visit our website to connect with us because staying connected with us allows you to we send out information about things that are going on. And then I'd ask you to kind of look around your own community, look within yourself and see like, is there something more that you could be doing? It doesn't matter what position you are in. We all play a part in this. And so my call to action is to get involved within your own communities and start there with change, but then also support others that are doing this work, not just us. We're one part of of this. And because I talk about collective effort, I will be remiss to tell you that you have to support others. This thing is working in many different pieces and finding what best fits with your passion within this space. So if I've inspired you to do anything, I hope that I have inspired you to want to go out and make change happen. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk with you and feel your passion and feel your heart in this. It's just, it's just, I can feel it right through the screen. I, I just love the work that you're doing and I think you're a brilliant human. Thank you. I love, love, love you, Kat. I'm telling you, seriously, I have always appreciated your support in times that you probably don't even be like, that's a little something, but it carried over into something more. So I am always grateful for you just seeing me, who I am, and that leads you to support the work that we are doing in whatever ways So thank you for seeing me because seeing me leads to supporting the work. That's how I feel about that. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I did not expect to (laughs) tear up here. (laughs) Thank you so much. No, we have to tell people in real time. We don't have to wait till we're standing in the front of a room below a group of people. We're supposed to tell people how we feel about them. So we all need something to carry us to continue to do this work. This is mental health. And it is mentally debilitating. So just know that you are certainly, certainly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you. And I know that if nobody has heard you speak before, they're going to appreciate and love you just the way that I do. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Then everybody, I will be directing you on how to connect with Kay in just a moment. Thank you so much, Kay, for being with us. See you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You 
get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.